0: The following audio is from Delta Church in Springfield, Illinois. Our purpose is to proclaim the gospel through the church to a world that needs Jesus Christ. We pray this sermon will aid and encourage your daily walk with Jesus. For more information about Delta, you can visit us online at deltachurch.net. Good morning, y'all. Why don't you go ahead and turn in your copy of Scripture to Amos chapter 7, verses 10 through 17? Amos chapter 7, verses. 10 through 17. So we're around in the corner here. This is um, there's going to be two more sermons after this in the book of Amos. Um, and if you've read ahead or you've been keeping track with where we're at, what we have in front of us is something that feels like an odd interruption, right, in the flow of what's been what's been going on and what's been being spoken here. As there is this little biographical sort of tidbit, this interaction between. Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, and Amos, the prophet of God. But I believe there are some very um, pertinent, very modern-day, so to speak, realities that we are just seeing played out before us in these verses that I'm hoping you will see have a lot of carryover for us today. So would you stand to your feet? We're going to honor the God of the Word by standing an outward way of showing honor to the king that we were just singing about, the gracious and the good king. So hear these words, Amos 7, verses 10 through 17. Then Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, sent to Jeroboam, king of Israel, saying, Amos has conspired against you in the midst of the house of Israel. The land is not able to bear all his words. For thus Amos has said, Jeroboam shall die by the sword and Israel must go into exile away from his land. And Amaziah said to Amos, O seer, go, flee to the land of Judah and eat bread there and prophesy there, but never again prophesy at Bethel, for it is the king's sanctuary and it is a temple of the kingdom. Then... Amos answered and said to Amaziah, I was no prophet nor a prophet's son, but I was a herdsman and a dresser of sycamore figs. But the Lord took me from following the flock, and the Lord said to me, Go, prophesy to my people Israel now, therefore, hear the word Of the Lord. You say, Do not prophesy against Israel, and do not preach against the house of Isaac. Therefore, thus says the Lord Your wife shall be a prostitute in the city, and your sons and your daughters shall fall by the sword, and your land shall be divided up with a measuring line. You yourself shall die in an unclean land, and Israel shall surely go and to exile away from its land. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. Last week we asked the question, who pulls the strings? This morning we're going to ask the question, who speaks the truth? That's our sermon title for this morning, who speaks the truth? Right now what you have in front of us are two men, Amaziah the priest, Amos the prophet. They're both saying something, both are claiming There are some things to be true, but you can't have two opposite things that are polar opposite from one another, both be true at the same time. It's just the law of non-contradiction. It just can't happen. Somebody is not telling the truth. So who is speaking the truth? The main idea, I believe, that we're going to learn from these verses this morning is that we're going to discover someone who is speaking the truth, and when we zero in on this person, we're going to learn that when confrontation comes, our confidence is found in the Lord who has spoken, the Lord who has spoken truth. So when the people of God stand on the word of God, speaking the truth of God, then we'll know who is speaking the truth whenever we speak and proclaim God's words and what we're going to find out is that confrontation comes as well when we do this one of the things you need to know and so here's what I'm going to encourage you as we continue to truck through these verses before us this morning in light of the main idea that's up on the screen in front of you right now is to see this main idea through the lens the gospel lens of your identity as a witness Because what you need to know is that as a witness in the day and the age in which we live, when you stand on the word of God, you will be confronted by the priests of religions, secular and sacred, who will act in Amaziah-like ways to shut you down because you are standing on the word of God. Bearing witness will come with opposition. And so my encouragement is, tune in to see how Amos handles that confrontation when it comes so it can encourage you to go forward as a witness, okay? So let's pray. Let's ask for the Holy Spirit to empower the proclamation of his word, and then we'll dive into our text, okay? Father, we are asking you to do what you love to do. You love to empower times like this through the filling of your Holy Spirit so that the Holy Spirit can do what he loves to do, which is place the spotlight right smack dab on the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, our aim this morning is to not magnify the mere words of a man, but our aim this morning is to magnify the Son of Man, the Lord Jesus Christ, the good and glorious King. Father, turn our attention to him. Reveal those dark areas of our heart where sin hides and resides and remains so that we can repent and confess and then turn to you, knowing that when we turn to you, we can find salvation. We can find the grace and the mercy we need. So, Father, come now. Move in power in among us. It's in your name I pray. Amen. If you remember last week, we ended our time by looking at the third of five visions. Chapter 7, 8, 9 consist of five visions. These five visions are being broken up by this little interlude here before us. And so if you remember, the third vision that we looked at last week was that vision of a plumb line. And if you remember, while preaching the vision of that plumb line, Amos made a very blunt prediction in verse 9. He said... Yahweh would rise against the house of Jeroboam and the house of Jeroboam, the king of Israel, would fall with the sword. For the first time in this book, the king of Israel has been called out by name. So where the people of Israel might have been receiving the words of Amos with sort of like vague applications of like, yeah, all those people out there, that kind of thing, they, they are the ones who sort of need this, Amos eliminates that excuse by zeroing in and calling out someone specific. He's like, I'm not talking about all those folk out there. I am talking about you and I am talking about the man you know. I am talking about King Jeroboam. It'd be like a pastor or a preacher in a very prophetic voice getting into his car and driving into Washington, D.C. and saying, President Trump is not measuring up to the line in this way. President Biden is not measuring up to the line of the word of God in this way. There's no longer these vagaries of just sort of these ambiguous sins that a nation is committing that we just sort of loosely let come and go, but he's going right into the heart, the seat of where the powers that be reside, and Amos is now pointedly called out by name, Jeroboam the king. And when Amos does this, calling out the king by name in verse 9, like we saw last week, what it proves to be is the last straw for the king's priest. The implication is this, the priest has been listening to Amos speak his visions, preach his sermons, tolerating it possibly, but now that Amos, the wannabe lowlife from that southern kingdom, has stepped onto his turf and is now punking out his king, he says, no, ain't going to happen anymore. And it sort of stings Amaziah, the king's priest, in the action. The seer from Judah has gone too far with his message this time. There was a line in the sand. He kept creeping up to it. He has now stepped over it, and I am going to take action against this prophet from the south. I'm going to shut him down. Now, as I've said a couple of times, at first glance, our text this morning looks like an odd interruption buried in a series of visions. But far from being an odd interruption, this dialogue between Amaziah the priest and Amos the prophet, it is going to be very instructive for us. It's far from just an odd interruption. This dialogue is instructed for any and all who've been called to stand firm on the word of God and to proclaim the word of God, to hold the line on thus says the Lord when it comes to what God has said about the world in which he has created. And so this interaction between Amos and Amaziah just isn't like an interaction that's just good for those old people a long time ago. It's good for you and me this morning because not only was Amos called to stand on the word of God in this moment, but every Christian here this morning is called to stand on the word of God just as much as Amos was. So now all of a sudden this little dialogue between Amaziah and Amos is incredibly relevant. Because it's not just Amos who's been called to do this. It's you and it's me. This interaction shows that when God's people confidently proclaim God's message of thus says the Lord, when God's people call others to turn from the judgment to come. When God's people boldly expose the darkness of sin that men and women love so much, these people, God's people, will be confronted by the old and new religions of the day. Why? Because it's hard for religious people, whether these are religious people of a sacred nature or whether these are religious people of a secular nature, religious people find it hard to accept that their religion itself is offensive to God. This is why men and women are quick to belittle the messenger who comes and confidently speaks the word of God. They don't like it when someone tells them what they don't want to hear, so they employ all kinds of schemes to knock God's ministers off course and muddy the waters so as to confuse the truth. This is what Amaziah is trying to do with Amos in this little dialogue that we have before us this morning. The prophet of God is standing there where God has told him to go, and he is simply opening his mouth, and Amos is saying, "'Thus says the Lord.'" And in confrontation and contradiction to that stands the priest of Bethel, Amaziah, who is saying, Amos, your words shall not stand. And it prompts the question who is speaking the truth? Is it Amaziah or is it Amos? The deeper confrontation at hand in the dialogue before us this morning is the battle of God's word versus man's word. And as I said, Christians, brothers and sisters, saints here today, saved by the Lord Jesus Christ, we can learn a lot from this confrontation that is lying before us in our laps and on our phones in these verses. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to divide our text this morning into three. Three points this morning, and the first point is found in verses 10 through 13, where we learn that confrontations are unavoidable confrontations are unavoidable. When a people of God hold fast to the word of God saying, thus says the Lord in these ways. And I'm not saying that we're coming with vitriol. We're not coming with anger. We're not coming with like spitting venom and and, and hatred towards people. It's just this. We are bound, our consciences are bound to the word of God because the God of the word has saved us. And with that measure of Amos-like conviction, we must say, thus says the Lord, we, we toe the line, we, we do not bow down to all the other words and phrases and ideologies that are calling us to, to go against, thus says the Lord. What you need to know is that in those moments, big and small, through the everyday rhythms of life confrontations are unavoidable now some of you know this to be to be the truth because you've been on the receiving end of this an opportunity came for you to in essence say thus says the lord because you simply opened your bible and you spoke a biblical truth in that moment in complete counter to the culture around us and what you found was to put it lightly some confrontation okay what do we do in those moments Amos is going to show us, y'all, alright? So the reality is this. Listen, it's going to be key to understanding the text here. The reality is this: Amaziah, the priest, was a priest of a new religion. Now you might be like, well, wait, what's going on? I mean, he wouldn't necessarily say that, right? He was over there saying we worship God. I know it's not in Jerusalem, it's up in this place called Bethel and all these sorts of things. But what you need to understand, and what you need to know is that ultimately. In its nutshell essence, Amaziah was a priest of a new religion. The religious life of the northern kingdom of Israel was something that was never meant to be, if you know your Old Testament history. When the unified kingdom under King Solomon, if you remember, split into two upon his death, split into the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, King Jeroboam I... This Jeroboam's great, 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 great grandfather made a decision when the kingdom split into two. What he said was this I don't want my people to go down to David's kingdom down there, and I don't want them to get sort of sucked into the religious life of that kingdom because then I might begin to lose control over my people. So, what I'm going to do is just simply copy and paste what all of the religious stuff they were doing down there, and I'm just going to bring it on up here. So, instead of encouraging his people to obey God, go to Jerusalem, worship the one living God in the place that God had appointed, Jeroboam said, no, I'm going to create my own temples. I'm going to create my own sanctuaries. I'm going to create my own priesthood, none of which had the stamp and approval of Yahweh, the living God. So the king sought to control his people by manipulating the religious lives. He set up shrines to be replacements for worship at the temple in Jerusalem. He said, I'm going to set up my own priesthood. And while there were faint echoes of what God had ordered for his people and what Jeroboam set up, the reality was this. What he set up was a new religion. And guess who is sitting at the head of this new religion in the northern kingdom? Amaziah, the priest. So into this situation steps Amos. And Amos comes pronouncing judgment, judgment that is to come. And it obviously stings Amaziah into action. So just think about it. All that we've been seeing in Amos chapters 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, and up through 7 right now have basically been saying Amaziah, this whole thing that you're in charge of is a sham, it's false. It's new. It's not as from the Lord. It doesn't bring glory and honor and worship to the Lord. It actually, it's, what it's done is it's led to a whole, a whole slew of sin, and it's led the people of God astray. This, this stings Amaziah into action. He was not going to take any more. And so he says in verse 10, he goes to the king and says, Amaziah, or it says, Amos has conspired against you, king. He's conspired against you in the midst of the house of Israel. The land is not able to bear all his words, so apparently Amos' message was making some headway. For thus Amos has said, he boils down, if you want to know sort of a summary point of Amos chapters 1 through 7, Amos is purportedly to have said, Jeroboam, you're going to die by the sword. And Israel must go into exile away from his land. That is how Amaziah has received these words. Now, there's a sense in which Amaziah is hearing things rightly, but he's seeing them wrongly. While it's true that Amos has said several times that Israel must go into exile if they refuse to repent, technically, he never said that Jeroboam will die by the sword. What he just said was his dynasty His household will eventually come to an end. But notice that Amaziah doesn't really care a whole lot to be super particular about the truth and what is false. Because people in Amaziah's position, when they don't want you around, they don't care to mix a little truth with a little error to get what they want. If it makes you look like a fool in the end. If it can shut you down and make you be quiet. But Amaziah doesn't care about these things. He doesn't care. that That's not technically what Amos was going around and saying. Listen, Amaziah's aim is to bring down this meddling prophet. So he lies to the powers that be by mixing truth with error so that his personal agenda of shutting Amos down can begin to march forward. So he misrepresents Amos. He misrepresents him before the king, charging Amos with conspiracy. And there's no conspiratorial talk coming from Amos at all, but Amaziah doesn't care if he can misrepresent Amos and shut him down. He classifies Amos's message as intolerable, this intolerant message that's gripping the land. The land is not able to bear his words. Listen to his intolerant words against you, king, and against our our people. He needs to be stopped. Let's send him on back where he came from. And then Amaziah continues by painting the prophet in the worst possible light as someone who is not in step with the popular program of the day. So he says, listen, Amos, flee away from here. You need to go back to your own land. Head down south. Go and eat bread there. Go and make your money there. Go and take your message down there. Prophesy down there, he says translation Amos you're on the wrong side of history when you're up here in our, in our world we're on the right side you're on the wrong side your message has crossed over the line get back over there all this talk of thus says the lord we will not tolerate this this kind of message might work where you're from pal but it's not going to work here where we're at so beat it get out of here Never again prophesy at Bethel. This is the king's sanctuary that you're in. This is the king's temple, and people like you, Amos, are decidedly out of place here. So leave and go. What this interaction reveals is a snapshot of what God's people have experienced down through the ages that there will always be priests of new religions who strive to stifle God's word and stop God's people. Listen, this is crucial to understanding these verses right now. There's always going to be priests, priests of new religions, whether they be sacred religions, secular religions, doesn't matter. There will always be priests of new religions People who are going to toe the line and say, I'm representing the people right now. This is the ideology. This is the message. This is the philosophy. This is the tradition that we are devoted to. You are in contradiction to this new religion that we are devoted to with a fervor. And because you have come into our turf speaking against these things, I will do whatever it takes and strive to stifle the words coming out of your mouth and to stop you all together. There will always be priests of new religions who strive to do these things. In Amos' day, it's obvious. We've been talking about it all morning long. It was Amaziah, the priest, who sought to shut down the word of the Lord. Fast forward to Jesus' day. Who was the number one opposition to the Lord Jesus Christ? It was the religious establishment, the priests of the sacred who plotted over and over again to destroy the word who had become flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus is crucified, resurrected, ascends into heaven, the apostles that he trained up are filled with the holy spirit, they begin to march the mission forward and guess what? The religious powers flexed on their flexed their authority by looking at the apostles and strictly charging them not to speak or to teach at all in the name of Jesus. From the time of the prophets to the prophet, the Lord Jesus Christ, and every person who's ever linked themselves to the prophet, the Lord Jesus Christ, who has gone forward saying, this is what Jesus says to do and this is what he says not to do. This is the message of salvation. This is what sin really is. Thus says the Lord confrontation has come, priests have arisen and said, we don't like what you're bringing and we will strive to stifle, we will strive to stop. So in these above examples, Amos, Jesus, the apostles, all three were confronted, all three were opposed, and all three were persecuted by priests of the sacred, leaders of religion who found it hard to accept that the religion itself was offensive to God. They didn't like hearing that because we love to try to earn things from God and religious people love to try to earn things by being good at religion and when someone comes and says your works will not attain for you the blessing you hope they will attain on the day of judgment to come religious folk do not sit well with that message. But saints, listen. This does not mean, just because this is true of priests of the sacred, this does not mean there are no priests of the secular who seek to do the same. We are surrounded in a world of new religions that are not necessarily religious. They're not like the Islams and the Buddhists, the Hindus, Christians, even. But they are new religions. They're not necessarily religious. They're the philosophies and the human traditions that are being propounded in our world today. They're the ideologies and the theories that have nothing to do with religion per se, but they still demand a wholehearted religious devotion to them nonetheless. So I'm telling you, friends, in our day, Amaziah like priests of new religions abound, they're everywhere. There are the secular priests of cancel culture who manipulate the marketplace of ideas just like Amaziah saying to any who dare to speak the word they do not want to hear, get in line with the right side of history or else you will be shut down and relegated to the fringes. There are the secular priests of the sexual revolution devoted to the belief that there is no thus says the Lord concerning marriage, concerning sexuality, Concerning gender, invading our schools and churches and homes is a priesthood loyal to the doctrine of wokeness, ostracizing all who dare to prophesy against their dearly held beliefs. With religious devotion to the political left or religious devotion to the political right, many function as modern-day Amaziahs. Defending their favored political position, unwilling to tolerate any message, even a message from God and his word, that challenges the tenets of their political religion. Saints, not only do sacred priests find it hard to accept that their religion itself is offensive to God, so do the secular priests of our day and our age. And to test that statement, all any of us need to do is go into the marketplace of ideas tomorrow morning and speak clearly where God has spoken clearly, and you will quickly discover the Amaziah-like animosity of folks who refuse to hear that their religion, that they so dearly are devoted to, is actually offensive to God insofar as that it does not line up with the Word of God. Brothers and sisters, Amos chapter 7, verses 10 through 13 is not an ancient problem only. It is a modern-day reality. I dare say many of us could go, uh, like, we're reading the Bible here, but I I could just take out Amos' name and put my name in, and I can take out Amaziah's name and put in neighbor, coworker, boss, manager, supervisor, friend, brother, sister, aunt, uncle, grandma, grandpa, and you have had an Amaziah-like confrontation because you, like Amos, stood the line on the Word of God. This is not a problem that Amos had some hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years ago. I'm telling you, some of you guys just had this interaction last week. So the question is, brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ, what are you going to do when you're confronted by the priestly authorities of our day? What are you going to do? I think it's less of a if but when. I think gone are the days where pastors, preachers can get in the pulpit and say, there is a day coming when these things will begin to happen. I dare say we've already crossed the threshold into that day. So what are you going to do when you're confronted by the priestly authorities of our day, whether they be the sacred priests and Of Christendom or in some other major world religion who look at you and are trying to water down the word of God and you're like saying no like the the Lord has spoken clearly on this so we must speak clearly on this as well or whether it be the sacred priests of the day who don't want anything to do with religion per se but their devotion to their ideologies and their philosophies and their traditions are religious in and of themselves and when the word of God speaks clearly against some of these things and you say I must say what God God has called me to say, I must stand where God has called me to stand. What are you going to do when those priests and the powers that be rise up against you and confront you, saying to you, I don't know what you are about, but don't you ever dare prophesy at Bethel again. Listen, to take a stand and to speak God's word means we will be tested by confrontations of authority. To toe the line and say, thus says the Lord, it will stoke the ire of secular and sacred priests alike. Not because, again, not because we come into that moment, veiny necked, like hulking out, you know, red-faced with the fury of a thousand suns, just smashing people with God. Like, no, no. If that is your mode of operation, you probably deserve what you're going to get, right, in that moment. That's biblical. That's First Peter chapter 2, Okay. That's your homework for today. Go look that up and see what Peter has to say about you getting what you deserve when you act like a knucklehead, all right? (laughs) But when we come with the compassion of an Amos, do you remember what we said last week? Amos didn't show up. What we learned last week wasn't that Amos stepped in these situations, right, just hulking out kind of stuff. No, his heart was breaking into a thousand pieces with compassion for the people he was preaching to. So when we roll into these situations with an Amos-like compassion that is ultimately flowing from God's compassion for people, and we say, man, I cannot do anything else. I must speak God's word clearly here in this moment. It will stoke the ire of the sacred and secular priests alike. Why? Not because we are coming with the fury of a thousand sons, but simply because people love the darkness rather than the light. God's word is a lamp that brings our sin into light. Any of you ever been reading your Bible and you're like, oh no. Like this thing just sort of poked a hole right into my soul. Yeah, why? Because God's word is a lamp that is like a light. And when you open it up, it's beams of righteousness shine into the dark corners of our heart, exposing stuff that was hidden. God's Word is like a double-edged sword that lays us open, exposing the cancer of sin that destroys our soul. His Word is the plumb line which reveals the crooked distortion of sin in our lives. And plainly put, when the light and the cutting and the measuring of God's Word gets laid against our heart, soul, mind, and strength revealing that we have darkness revealing we have a cancer that needs to be cut out revealing that there's some crookedness in our lives people just don't like that so when we come shining the light measuring the crooked doing the cutting empowered by the spirit of god as christians just simply saying thus says the lord what you need to know is that they're not going to like it. And so, like Amaziah, they will strive to stifle God's word and stop God's people. Saints, listen. I took a long time on these first couple of verses because I think it's very important for us to hear this. My prayer for us is that we will meet these oppositions much like Amos did. That we'll meet these oppositions much like Amos did as one who stood on a foundation that will hold. That's the second point verses 14 and 15. The question is, what did Amos do when he was confronted by the priestly authorities of his day? Well, we don't have to guess. That's what verses 14, 15, 16, and 17 are all about. Amos responded to the confrontations and the oppositions of his day from Amaziah the priest by standing firm on the foundation that will hold when... The winds and the rains and the blowings and the travails and the trials and the hardships and the sufferings of the sacred and secular priests alike get unleashed upon the people of God. What Amos knows is this, that when Amaziah is opposing him, he's ultimately opposing God because Amos isn't there saying, Hey, you know, I was just sort of Tuesday and I was thinking mine might as well be good to go up to Bethel and sort of say some words that might make a lot of people angry. I don't know, the sheep herding business is sort of down a little bit. The figs aren't really producing like they used to. Might as well just go and make a lot of people angry. You know, goes up to the northern kingdom of Israel and just begins to say a lot of things. That's not what's going on. He's like, man, I I know I'm no prophet. I'm no professional prophet. I didn't grow up in a school of prophets. I was just a sheep herding fig farmer and minding my own business, by the way, and really sort of liking it. But... Verse 15, but Yahweh took me. Yahweh said to me, you go and do this. And Amos already told us back in chapter 3, verse 8, when the lion has roared, who will not fear? The Lord God has spoken Who can but prophesy? When Yahweh grips you by the scruff of your neck and says, you are mine, and I'm telling you to go to this place, you go. You go. And that's what Amos is modeling for us here. He was no prophet, no prophet's son. The Lord took him. The Lord said, go prophesy. And what we learn is that Instead of taking Amaziah's confrontation personally, Amos turns and rests upon his divinely given authority. Amos is speaking with authority right now, not because he is a man of authority. He's speaking with authority right now because his authority rests in the God who has called him. This is how a nowhere man from a nowhere land could stand his ground against the powers that be. He knows he's no professional He's never trained to be one. He knows he's a little fish in a big pond, but he also knows that he's acting and speaking because of God's authority. Yahweh took him. Yahweh said go. Yahweh said prophesy. In other words, Amos knew where he stood with God. Amos knew where he stood with God. He didn't have to wrestle with, do I go, do I not? I don't know. Do I speak this word to my neighbor? Do I speak this word to my co-worker? He's like, no, 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 no. I know clearly what God has called me to do, and so I am going to go and do it. So when the moment of testing came, and especially when a strong human authority pressed him to give up, how was he able to stand? He was able to stand with confidence and boldly speak a word from the Lord because Amos knew where he stood with God. And so what did he say? That's point number three. He said a word from the Lord. Verses 16 and 17. Speaking to Amaziah directly, look at what Amos says in verse 16. Now, therefore, hear the word of the Lord. You say, Amaziah, don't prophesy against Israel. You say, Amaziah, do not preach against the house of Isaac. It's right here where we find the answer to our question, who's speaking the truth right now? Who's speaking the truth right now? The confrontation between Amaziah and Amos is no mere squabble between two men. What Amos has been speaking is the word of the Lord, which is right and true, Psalm 33, verse 4. But Amaziah has been trying to silence the word of God, so now it's time for him to be quiet and listen. Amaziah, you say, don't do. You say, don't do. Now listen to what the Lord has to say to you. That's what, the, that's what Amos is saying right now. Your wife will be a prostitute in the city. Your sons and your daughters will fall by the sword. Your land will be divided up with a measuring line. You are going to go off into an unclean land. Not a good thing for a priest, by the way. Priests want to be very clean, ceremonially, right? Religiously speaking, you're going to go to a place where you're not going to get what you want. You're actually going to die in that place. And then what you're going to do is in your dying days realize that the rest of Israel has gone into exile with you. No matter how much the Amaziahs of this world say, do not prophesy, do not preach, the reply must always be the same from God's people. Therefore, thus says the Lord, I know you're telling me not to, I know you're telling me not to, but therefore, I am compelled, I must, I must be clearly where God has spoken clearly. Thus says the Lord, the people of God, must abide faithfully to the word of God. Otherwise, we will end up like Amaziah trying to silence God's word for personal gain. That was self preservation in the heart of Amaziah. He didn't want the stuff that he loved to disappear. This guy's saying all the stuff's going to disappear, so I'm going to shut him down. It was a motivation of personal gain. Have any of you ever found yourself in the place where you shut down the word of God for personal gain? A great question to ask yourself is this Am I like Amaziah trying to silence God's word for my personal gain in this area of my life? Do I shirk back from listening to the word preached? Do I read the word? carelessly or do I just make the conscious decision to not read God's word at all because I know enough to know that if I do God's word will make demands upon me that I'm not willing to submit to so what do we do? man? I saw this in college all the time, surely you did as well somebody grew up in the church, they had enough biblical knowledge to know what God asks them to do, what God asks them not to do, not because God is a cosmic killjoy but because God knows what is best for his creation but the decision came, the fork came in the road for that freshman in his freshman year of college, will I walk the pathway of what God has called me to do in his word because I'm convinced that God is for me and not against me and he knows how I will best flourish and prosper or will I come over here and do whatever I want to do? And there's always that internal wrestling that happened between friends and dorm mates that I saw where eventually what happened was I cannot continue to try to walk Pass because if i'm over here submitting to god's word or reading god's word or trying to understand god's word and i go out on the weekends and i do these things i have all this internal conflict and turmoil within my conscience within my soul i don't want that and so what often happens is this i'm just going to kill god's word and get it out of my life all of a sudden what happens miraculously seems overnight the conflict and the tension just disappears It's because what happened in that moment, we were pulling in Amaziah. I wanted the personal gain of getting whatever I wanted to get in that moment. And so I'm going to brush God's word aside so I can try to to get what I want to the advance of my own agenda. But brothers and sisters, if this is us, then we need to pay attention to the fate of Amaziah there in verse 17. He had it good in the king's sanctuary, but everything he'd built his life upon was false And it was all going to come tumbling down, not only with him, but also with his family. Our sins very rarely just have the consequence of just us. They affect the people that were around as well. Amos prophesied. Amaziah replied, do not prophesy. He heard the word of the Lord, but he did not listen, accept, and obey the word of the Lord. He decidedly rejected the word of the Lord. And what you see in verse 17 is now the Lord Rejects him. And the thing was, the saddest thing that we see here in verse 17 just simply is this none of this was inevitable. None of this was inevitable. Amos or Amaziah did not have to be in this place, but he found himself in this place because he made his choice. And the word he rejected became the very judge that he loathed. In other words, the word of the Lord became the plumb line. And the Lord of the plumb line drew near and measured Amaziah. You see, it's not only kings like Jeroboam, it's not only priests like Amaziah who will be measured on that final day, but men, women, here this morning, listen to this, every one of us, every one of us on that final day are going to be measured before the judgment seat of Christ. The question is, when that final day comes, will you come before Christ only to be measured and found wanting like Amaziah? Or will you come before Christ with a humble and repentant heart that says, nothing, nothing, nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to the cross, I cling. Naked, come to you for dress. Helpless, I'm looking to you, Christ. I'm looking to you for your grace. Foul, sin has fouled my life and foul. I, to the fountain, fly. Here's my confession. Wash me, Savior, or I die. The scriptures say, that for any and all who turn to Christ with that kind of confession will be saved. Will be saved. So you can stand before Christ on that final day before the judgment seat of the king and not hear, depart from me, for I never know you, but you can hear... Welcome, because I know you, because I have saved you. Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, says Isaiah, for I am God and there is no other. Friends, I beg you, do not stand before the judgment seat of Christ being measured like Amaziah. Turn to him, turn to the Lord and be saved. Let's pray. Father, it's in your name that I am praying these things. It is in your name that we need you to drive them deep, just very, very deep into our, our hearts, into our minds. We need you to make these things make sense in our minds. Father, if there was something challenging to us, would you help us to wrestle with them over the next several minutes to come? If there is something that we need to respond to in obedience, would you give us the courage and the strength to bravely act upon what we know we need to do? Father, for some of us, that's just confessing of sin. For some of us, that is coming to Christ for the first time saying, I'm turning to him. I need him to wash me or else I will die. Die eternally, spiritually separated from him. Father, for your name's sake and for your glory this morning, would you move now among your people who are listening this morning so that you would receive the glory that you are worthy to receive in our lives. It's in the name of Christ the King, I pray these things. Amen.